Good morning, brothers and sisters. I'm Jason Davis. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Charleston Baptist. Thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, we are going to be continuing our study through the book of uh, our, through the book of Psalm, excuse me, but um, specifically uh, Psalm 119. And uh, I, I'm so grateful and thankful that we have a pastor that is willing to lead us through uh, the Psalm 119. It is a long. Uh, and it can be somewhat arduous journey through the book of, or excuse me, through the Psalm uh, 119. But oh, so it is so worth it. There are so many beautiful truths that we can uh, have been being taught and will be taught through uh, this Psalm. We're in, again, Psalm 119, and we're going to be uh, starting in verse 97. Uh, if you do not have a Bible with you, uh, we have these uh, blue Bibles underneath the, the seat in front of you. Uh, you're welcome to take one of those home with you. We're going to be on page uh, 571 in that Bible. Psalm 119, starting in verse 97. We're going to read 97 through 104. And it says this, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rule, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Though your precepts, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here, to sing our voices to you, to worship you in spirit and truth. Father, I pray, Lord, as we study through these verses here this morning, through Psalm 119. Father, that you would use this to, to change us, to mold us into your image. Father, we would have a new, a greater appreciation and love and desire for what you have blessed us with and that what you have given. And Father, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So again, like I said, we're going through this psalm, and um, I, I got a question for you. I always like to start out with a question to get myself thinking, to get you thinking, is what is that thing in your life, that greatest love in your life? What is that thing that you, you think about when you're going to bed at night or when you wake up in the morning or throughout your day that you may have, you have your job and you go to your job, but there's something on your mind that constantly comes to mind. I've had friends in the past that are very sports-minded, and so depending on uh, what season it is, they know all the stats. They're into whatever sports, whether it be football, baseball, hockey, soccer, whatever that sport is, they're into it and they love it so much and they are, they're thinking about it all the time. They're thinking about the players, they're thinking about the next game coming up and they, they orient their lives around it. And to the point where I was in high school, uh, we would go and we would go to the movies a lot. We wasted actually a lot of money on movies. But anyway, that's the side point. But we would go to the movie. I had a friend who, who loved Carolina. He was an avid Carolina fan. I mean, he was in love with Carolina football. And he would orient his life around that love. So if we were going to the movie and there was a Carolina game, guess who won out? Not his friends that loved him, that cared for him, that was always with him. No, it was the football game. He had to go watch the football game. If I'm stepping on toes, I'm sorry. But, it's, it's, you know, what do you love the most? Because what we love the most 
we, we get consumed by it. I know there are friends uh, that are, are here at this church that they love Star Wars. And I, I don't mind watching Star Wars. I, I kind of enjoy it to some degree or another. Uh, but I, I know some friends that love Star Wars. And if you get them talking about Star Wars, they'll go on and on and on. And they know all the myths, the legend, the lore, all that surrounds it. They know the directors. They know the actors. They know all the things that go into it. And I'll be honest, I kind of stand back in amazement. Like, wow, it's amazing how much you have invested in this. Why? Is it because somebody said, you have, to, you have to learn all these characters. You have to know every single character from every single movie in the timeline of, of Star Wars and what is actual Star Wars and what's kind of side stories of Star Wars. And No, no one had to make them do that. It's because of their love, their passion for it. And the psalmist this morning has a great love and has a love that is worthy to be loved, a worthy to vote, devote your time to. Look at this love that the psalmist has this morning. It's in Psalm, and we look at uh, Psalm 119, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. Wait a minute. What did he just say? Oh, how I love your law. This is not how we normally think of of Scripture. That's not how we normally think of the Old Testament. That's not how we normally think of God's law. Normally when we think of God's law, we think of dread. We think of rules. We think of things that we can and cannot do. But the psalmist here says, no, no. When I think about the word of God, when I think about the law of God, it brings great emotion up. That Oh, how I love the law. Why and where does this come from? For the psalmist is because he has meditated. It is my meditation all the day. It wasn't just a cursory reading of, yes, I checked that box today. Or I've been to church and I've heard about God's law. I've heard about what I am and am not supposed to do. But that is, that's just over there. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's not his, his thought at all. But he says, oh, how I love your law. Your law, it is God's law that he gets so excited about that he's in love with because of what the law produces. When we fall in love with the word of God, it is amazing how drastic it will change our our life. Not only the things that we do, but the things we'll even think about, the things that we'll even let entertain into our minds. Oh, how I love your law. Let me ask you this morning. I struggled when, I, when, when praying through this and studying this is do I love the law? Do I love God's word as the psalmist is saying here? And do I just need to muster up more, more love? Is that what I need to do? Is I just need to, I need to, I need to, I need to bear up and, and just love God's law more. That's not the sermon this morning. The sermon this morning is not that you need to do a better job of loving God's law, not at all. It's about reorienting our affections, seeing the beauty, the majesty, the goodness, and the grace of God by him giving us his word and him inviting us into it. Again, think about the illustration with the guy with the, that loves Star Wars. It wasn't that he was forced. It wasn't that he had to muster up enough energy to, to watch these movies, read these books, 
to learn about Star Wars. He didn't have to say, I'm going to grind it out today and I'm going to make sure I watch these Star Wars movies today. No, it was his love. It was his affection. It was his desire to know more, to understand more, to get deeper into knowing that. May that be said about us and our, our love for God and what he has, he's blessed us with. It is my meditation all the day. This is meditation. Again, what does that mean? What does that look like? When we hear of meditation, I don't know where your mind goes, but there's different uh, uh, ideas that come along with meditation. Meditation, meditation in an Eastern mindset is a, a sitting, a uh, clearing your mind. A lot of yoga practices will use meditation uh, to clear the mind and think of nothingness while opening it up to other things. But meditation, there is a biblical meditation and a biblical meditation, a God-oriented meditation is not emptying your mind, but focusing it on the right things. Focusing it on the word of God. Focusing it on the things that are from above, which are from him. Meditation is a good and holy thing if done properly. When we meditate, and it's not just a sitting for hours, looking at a blank spot and trying to clear your mind, that is not the proper meditation that God is orienting our hearts to. The proper meditation that God is orienting our hearts to through the psalmist here is a, is a meditation that it takes the word of God with him. As he goes throughout his day, because we have to work, we have to live, we have to take care of children, take care of family, we have jobs to do, Right? But how do we meditate then? If we have all these things we have to do, how are we to meditate and spend that proper time with God? Well, that's where I would encourage you. Read the word of God, take it with you. But then it's not just taking it with you, it's thinking about, pondering about it. In those slow moments, when you have a break at work, when you have a lull with the kids, when you are with your grandparents or parents and you have that break, you're able to think on, what did I read this morning? What did the word of God say this morning? How does that apply to my life? And it, reading it over and over and over and over, and it never stops. And this meditation that the psalmist is talking about is, I, I, I've achieved uh, a certain level of knowledge, and now I can stop. I, I've achieved enlightenment i've achieved a certain position in life no not for the believer not for the follower of jesus we still have more to learn we still have further to go so oh how i love your law it is my meditation all the day so what is our foundation so the psalmist is founded in the love of god his father how are we to be founded? Again, it's not this working up, John 14, uh, 15 through 27. It says this, John 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is speaking here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He doesn't say, if you love me, just go do whatever you want to. I died on the cross. By grace, you have been saved. And so now, now you're free to live your life however you want to. That's not what he says at all. Actually, he says, if you love me, if you have faith in me, if you trust me, you will obey me. Why? Because he knows better than you. He knows better than me. If I truly love him, I will trust him. I will believe in him. I will, I will believe what his word says to be true. 
He says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. His death, burial, his resurrection. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning on his throne. And he told his disciples, I will never leave you. How could he do that? Because he sent the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. That we have one that goes with us. We are never alone. No matter what state we are in, no matter what condition we are in, you as a believer in Christ, a follower of Jesus, you are not alone. If you're not a follower in Jesus, you are alone. You are without the helper. I want to ask you to trust in him. This is even the truth in verse 17, even the truth, uh, spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. What great comfort. The disciples didn't even know the magnitude of what Jesus was saying at this point. But what great comfort to you and me and these disciples that heard this. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, yet a little while the world, <clears throat> the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live and you, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in, the fa- in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. We're not talking about a works-based salvation. I'm not saying that you have to work hard, you have to make sure you keep all of God's commandments to be saved. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But when we are saved, when we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we have God of the universe living inside of us, it changes everything. It changes how we think, it changes what we do, it changes what we prioritize, what we think is most important. And then he says, Verse 21, whoever has my commandment keeps them. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make his and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Verse 26, the helper, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why not? Why not be troubled? Why not be afraid? There are many things to be troubled about, right? There are many things maybe in your life right now that you can say, I should be troubled by this. There are many things in this world that we can say, we should be afraid of that. But what does he say? Why can we not live in fear of the world? Why can we not be troubled by the concerns of the world? Because the one who dwells in us. To love God's law begins with loving Jesus. 
begins with loving Jesus. Do you love Jesus? If you don't have a love for Jesus, you won't have a love for his law. The psalmist loves God. And he loves his law because of his love for God is why he loves the law of God. Without a love for Jesus, you won't have a love for his word either. So my question this morning is, do you love Jesus? Do you truly love him? Are you devoted to him that all of your life is in his hands? That you're not holding anything back of, I give you everything except this little thing over here. This thing right here in the, in the shadows, in the recesses, in this corner, in this cabinet, in this hallway, in this, in this closet. That, that stuff over here, that's my stuff. But Jesus, you can have everything else. No, 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 no. That means you're holding back from him. And that his heart, your heart is not truly his. And he desires all of you. But he is good and he is so gracious. Listen to what God says to Joshua. This is Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous. And just imagine this. The God of the universe is speaking to Joshua and he's telling him, be strong and courageous. Why did he tell Joshua to be strong and courageous? Because he knew Joshua's heart. He knew that he was prone to weakness. He was prone to be a coward. And guess what? I identify with him. That I need to hear these words from the Lord because I'm prone to weakness. I'm prone to be a coward. And without the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of me, I will just shirk my responsibilities. I'll just try to keep myself safe. But that's not what Joshua does. That's not what he's been called to. He's called to lead an army, to go and conquer. He's called to dangerous activity. And the Lord is shoring him up and saying, be strong and courageous, courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. God's saying, I'm gonna work through you, Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. How does the Lord encourage them? He's saying, you have been given a command. You do what I say. Do what I say. And it will go well for you. That you'll have good success. And then verse eight, this is this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This sounds a lot like the psalmist. It sounds a lot like the psalmist where he's talking about to meditate. This is not to depart from your mouth but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all according to all, according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. He's supposed to be conquering an army. He's supposed to be leading a campaign. You would think a general would have better things to do than meditate on scripture. But it's the exact opposite. He said, the best thing you can do, Joshua, is meditate on my word, on the commandments that you've received from Moses, that let it not depart from your mouth, that you meditate it on day and night. Instead of focusing on being clever and crafty and figuring out how you can make this, this win, that you can do this God mission on your own power, instead of figuring all that out, you just trust in my word. Meditate on my word. Do what I've told you to do, and you'll have success. In verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Sounds like a theme here. 
Sounds like something that Joshua needed to be reminded of over and over again. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, as a man that stands before you, this is, this is encouragement to me that I need to hear this, to be strong and courageous. I think back in middle school, before I was truly following Jesus, and I wish I had heard this. I wish I'd have been more strong and courageous because I can remember there were times where I should have stood up for what was right, but I was afraid for my own safety. I should have done what was good, but I was afraid for my own reputation that people would see me in a different light. Brothers and sisters, let us give of ourselves freely. Let us be strong and courageous, not because of our internal uh, desires, our internal fortitude, but because of who Jesus is, what God has done for us. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This was true for Joshua. And he had, in a sense, partial revelation. He didn't have the full revelation that we have today. And we have the full revelation of God where we get to know what Jesus has done, his death, burial, and resurrection, that he conquered sin and death. And we can go forth not in fear of anything that is out there, but in fear of God who saves our soul. And that goes with us and goes before us. So we love, we love the word of God. Now we see in verse 98 as we learn to learn God's word. There's a love, it begins with a love, a passion for God, but then it flows into an outworking of learning God's word. We are to learn God's word. Look what it says in 98 through 100. It says, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for is ever with me. Again, I think about Joshua and his campaign against the, the, uh, the people that were in the promised land. That instead of being crafty and trying to figure out how he was to defeat this enemy and that enemy, he was to rely on the word of God. He was to rely on the law of God. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Again, the idea of meditation comes up. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. The word of God has three people that he gives an example that he is wiser than. And this is not a, I'm wise, I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you. It's not an act of pride that he's speaking this way. Why do we know this is not him just being prideful and arrogant, that he's just uh, one of those smart intellectual guys that just lords their intellect over someone? He's not saying that at all. Actually, he's saying it is not about me, but it's about the commandment. It's about the word of God, precepts of God, the law of God, the word of God. He says, your commandments make me wiser. Again, not pointing to himself. For it is ever with me. So your enemies our enemies, think about those things that are stand against us or those spiritual dark forces that stand against us, those, those people in your workplace or maybe even in your home, I pray not. But those things that stand against us and as we follow Jesus, they're not wiser than God himself. They're not greater than him. That he has more wisdom than them. Second Timothy uh, 3, 12 through 17 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Do you hear that? 
as Paul is encouraging this young man, Timothy, he said, be prepared, be ready, because persecution will happen when you stand up and you live the commandments, when you obey Jesus rather than those around you, when you obey Jesus rather than the world and what it says to be good, you will have persecution. And it comes in various forms around the world. Some face face physical persecution, death, famine, hunger. Some face political persecution. Some face relational persecution. Some of you may face monetarily persecution where your money is being taken away from you, jobs being taken away from you. But what is greater? What has the greater weight in eternity? Let us measure things by that. My wife and I, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this or not because I don't know if I can make it through it, but my wife and I went and saw Sound of Freedom yesterday. And um, if you haven't seen it, I do encourage you to go see it, but be warned, um, it is about a very heavy, serious subject, uh, sex trafficking and the children that are involved in that. And there is an enemy that is out there. There is something that is evil in this world, that there is good and evil. And I just think about that if we truly live a godly life, we will be persecuted. We might lose a job. And the, the guy in the, in the movie, uh, but the guy in real life, uh, Tim Ballard, he loses his job because of the calling that God placed on his heart. They ends up losing his job. And I heard an interview with him on, uh, at a different time. And he, he says it, end, it ended up being some odd million dollars uh, in retirement money that he ends up losing out because he quits his job to go do what God's called him to do. Was it worth it? Was it worth it millions of dollars? Dude, he could, he could have gone and retired and lived a comfortable life. He could have been on the beaches. He could have gone and played golf. And not had to have been in danger for his life or worried about his family or, or try to rescue children and just thought about himself. But no, he decided there was a greater good. There was something that God was calling him to. My hope and prayer is that we learn God's word because it will make us wise. That we not seek our own wisdom. And then in First Timothy 2, 3, uh, excuse me, uh, 3, 13, it says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. What are the sacred writings that Timothy would have been acquainted with? Is the word of God, the law of God which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It is in Christ we are saved. That the the law of God, it makes us wise unto salvation and faith in Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. That what the law of God shows how desperately wicked we are. That you are not good. When we look at the law of God and compare ourselves to what God has called us to, We are desperately wicked, but it doesn't end there. Jesus doesn't leave us in our wickedness. He transforms us and makes us a new creation in him. And that you are no longer wicked, but you are righteous and you're righteous in him. That's the beauty of the gospel, that he transforms us. And then he says in verse 16, all scripture, all scripture, Old Testament, 
the thing that we may not like to go to, the thing we may wrestle with, the Old Testament, the old scriptures that we are, if we find difficult to understand, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That when we study and we meditate on the word of God, the sacred writings, the scriptures, then you and I will be equipped to do what God has set out for you to do. This is the great invitation that God has given you and me, that we have salvation in Jesus and we do nothing to earn that, right? But yet, we get to be partakers in this great journey that you get to go forth and by a redeemed heart and by a redeemed mind, you can partake in the the adventure that God has called you to. That you don't have to live a mundane life. You don't have to live just an ordinary life, but you can live in an adventurous life to the glory of God. But it's when we meditate on his word, when we follow his, his, his will for our life, that's when the adventure begins. God's word is what makes us wise to salvation. It is God's word that teaches us how to truly live and not be enslaved by our passions. Everything else enslaves us, but God, he liberates us. He frees us to do what we are truly meant to do, and that's to glorify him. That's to honor him, to glorify him. That's what you were created to do, and that is for our good and our joy and our pleasure is when we're living in light of that. And he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. I'm wiser than my teachers. Why, what makes a teacher, I think about this idea of education in our, in our culture and we, we give a lot of esteem, we give a lot of credit and value to uh, the professionals, specifically those that have doctor in their name. Doctor so-and-so has said this about this and so we give that a lot of credit and most of the time that's a good thing. But it's amazing, the word of God can make us wiser than those doctors, so to speak. Why? Because it speaks truth. That those doctors, I think about the universities around this country that have all these really, really smart people, these highly intellectual people, but they are far from God. They are far from his truth and they believe things that are contrary to the word of God. And they are, they're, they're not putting hope in what Jesus has said, what God has said. What makes the psalmist wiser than his teachers is a meditation on the testimonies. I understand more than the aged or the elders or what is supposed to be typically the wise. So you think about in a culture, typically the older are the ones that are more experienced. The older in a, in a community, in a culture would have been seen as there. That's where you go to wisdom. You go to the older ones to know how to get things done. And I think in American, in our generation, my generation and younger, we have lost some of that, that we, we don't go to the aged for wisdom. We go to the internet for wisdom. Or we go to uh, a social media platform for wisdom. Or we go to this, this author that we have never met, don't know, and we go to that person for wisdom as opposed to the aged. Well, the psalmist here is saying that even the age, the one that is typically seen as the person who would have the wisdom in a community, that he is wiser than them. Why? Because he's gifted, 
He's talented. He's the smartest of the bunch. No, 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 not at all. It says, for I keep your precepts. Because I keep your precepts. Because I keep your word. I not only love it, but I keep it. I obey. I obey. So we learn God's word. And we live God's word. Psalm 119, 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me that I hold back from every evil way. Think about that. That the psalmist here is encouraging himself and and those that will read this eventually to us that read this, that he holds back his feet that there is a path before him that he could walk down that is enticing to him, but he holds back his feet from every evil way. Why? Why would he deny himself this, grat- this, this sense of gratification? Why would he deny himself what seems to look good down the road? If I just walk this path, this path really looks good for me. That if I just take this money from this organization, if I just steal this money, nobody's really going to get hurt. It's a big corporation. I've heard this many times from people where, oh, it's a big company. They'll never miss this money. But what he's saying, I hold back my feet from every evil way, not just the small ones that I think are insignificant, but every evil way in order to keep your word. I can't be in obedience to God's word while at the same time living a life in contradiction to God's word. Did you hear that? I can't be in obedience to God's word while at the same time living a life that is in contradiction to God's word. We're going to be either living for him or against him. We're going to be walking a path with him or against him. Brothers and sisters, let us hold back our feet. What does that mean for you? That instead of going down this path, that you've well trotted, that you've been down this path many times before. Maybe today is the first day because of your love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing the word of God that you're willing to live it out and not go down that path again, but go down the path of righteousness. That I I do not turn aside, what? From your rules. And again, I I just think in, in our time, in our culture, like to say this is, it's an anathema. It, it, is, it is ridiculous. It's, it's crazy talk to say rules are good. Most people hate rules. They hate being told what to do. And I think about my own children. And I think about myself as a child. Now, I did not want to be told what to do. You don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do is the mentality of most. But that's not, again, that's not what Solomon says. Why? Because it's who is, whose rules are it? Whose rules are these? I do not turn aside from your rules. It is God's rules. And who taught them these rules? He taught them. And he teaches us today. Again, do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, then you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will teach you, teach you all things. So we live God's word. And then we delight in God's word. We opened up with this exclamation of love and then we hear in 103 listen to this how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth this is experiential 
The psalmist has experienced the word of God in his life and he has seen the goodness of God. He has tasted and he has seen and it is good. I think about my own life. I have tasted and I have seen the goodness of God and the grace and mercy of God in my own life. How could I ever turn away from him? I want more of him because what I have experienced in him is sweeter than honey. It is sweeter than the sweetest candy you've ever had. How great it is to have candy. I love candy. I love chocolate. I love sweets. But God's word is so much better. Amen? All right, thank you. I was hoping I'd get amen out of that one. But man, do we have a, a love and an affection for the word of God that I'd rather have it more than what satisfied just my taste buds for a little bit. He's saying God's word is so much greater than this. How sweet are your words to my taste. Do we, do we even delight in God's word in such a way that it is sweeter than, than honey? Sweeter than the sweetest things that we've ever tasted? And it doesn't leave us there. We delight in God's word. And then 104, through your precepts, through your word, through your law, through your command, through your precepts, I get understanding. It's kind of recycling that theme again and again. Therefore, because of this love, because of learning God's word, because of delighting in God's word, therefore, I hate every false way. I hate every false way. And it's kind of every evil way, every false way. Again, I think about the, the movie Sound of Freedom that my wife and I and a friend that we just saw yesterday. Do we hate every false way? And it's easy to walk into that movie that's talking about that issue and say, yes, I hate that. I hate the, that, that evil way. I hate that evil path. And, I, and I, I desire that these children to be rescued. But my question and part of my conviction out of coming out of that movie was, do I hate every evil way? Do I really hate every evil way? Are there evil ways in my life that, yes, I hate that thing over there, but I don't hate the evil that I entertain? Let us not be one of those people that say, yes, I hate that, and be the hypocrite that says, but I delight in this evil way over here. Because the psalmist says that is, that is no good. That is, that is not truly loving the word of God. That is not truly loving Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. And I think about it in my own life that the Holy Spirit would convict me of those evil ways in which that are present in my life, those evil paths that are in my life, that they would be sanctified, that I would hate, I would abhor them. As it says in Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, hate what is evil, abhor what is evil. Brothers and sisters, I pray the Holy Spirit convicts you that as you're walking a certain path in your life and it is not a path of righteousness, that the Holy Spirit would convict you in this and that you would hate it, you would abhor it because of what God has done with the commandments of God because he desires so much greater for you. He doesn't desire you to be enslaved by your passions, but he desires you to be freed to do what you have truly been called to. We, when we love God's word, we will learn it. We will live it. We will delight in it. And I'll close with this. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says this. Take my yoke, take my word, take my commandment and put it on you. Jesus' word, Jesus' commandment. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. And when we true, what we truly need in life is identity and rest for our soul. He gives us an identity. When we bear his yoke, we are identified with him. We are yoked with him. We say, he is my master. He is my Lord. And I am his. And we wear that yoke, but he is gentle and lowly of heart. He is kind and merciful. He is good and gracious. And he gives generously to his kids. Verse 34, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. May we, may we love the word of God. May we, as the psalmist says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Let us pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this time that we can spend in your word. Thank you for the time that you allow me to spend in your word, to meditate on this. Lord, I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be even called your son. But by grace, you have saved me. By grace, you have saved me. Not of my own works, but of your righteousness and of your will. Father, not for me to be selfish, not to be self-focused, but Father, be oriented toward you. May my affections grow all the more strong for your word and to honor and glorify your name. Father, I pray that for my brothers and sisters this morning. May our affection for your word grow all the stronger so that we may know your commandments. May we know your precepts. May we know your law that we would live in light of it. And that we would give freedom to those that are around us that they too can live in light of it. They can come and be set free. Father, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we close in this last song.